Hello. Hello, John. Wow. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good. You you sound very chill. I'm trying to eliminate the heavily overdriven intro that you sometimes experience. Do I do I experience a heavily overdriven intro? Yes. Um, Merlin told me you did. Merlin told you that I sometimes experience a heavily overdriven intro to our show, yours and mine. Yes. Whenever I would call, there would be, it would be very loud and it would be excessively like overdriven. And then you Hmm. would say, whoa, and you'd adjust your volume. And then you'd say, oh, there, there it gets better. Merlin revealed to me that he experiences the same thing only with me. And so I'm trying to counter that with some, I see low, low, low tones. I see low tones. You know, I have this experience all the time with my mom. I will, uh, I'll call her on the phone and the phone will ring and she'll pick up and she'll go, hi. (laughs) And even if I know it's going to (laughs) happen, nine out of 10 times, it goes into my ear like a bullet. And then I've start. you know, no matter what mood I was in, (laughs) I've now started the conversation like, ah, in pain, annoyed that it's happened again. Hmm. And, you know, four years ago, I was like, hey, mom, every time you answer the phone, you like, there's something about the way you answer the phone that's just like a dagger in the side of my head. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then for a while, she was trying to do something. But it was like one of those things where I felt now I've created an unnatural situation by calling attention to it. Right. So she'd pick up the phone and she'd be like, uh, hello. Or, you know, it was just weird. (laughs) And then uh, she forgot about it. And now it still happens, you know, and I'll call her and I'll hold the phone away from my ear. And, and then she'll answer like, oh, hello, you know, hello, honey. I'm like, ah, what am I doing? I'm, I'm being weird. And then I, then I forget about it. And then she, she gets me again. Hi, right in the, Mm. But with you, Dan, I always just feel like you've got really high quality audio equipment. You're talking into a, a microphone that's probably going through like five tube Macintosh amplifiers. Right. That's exactly it's, what it is. Right. It's going out over like an old shortwave, uh, <laughs> you know, like a giant antenna mounted on the roof of your house. Yeah. And so it sounds amazing. And, you know, it just, it just goes with the turf, you know? Mm-hmm. But tonight, well, I, today you are super chill. Merlin seemed to think that it's a a Skype artifact of some kind, but he said it didn't happen because I'm in a different, like uh, I'm in a new office. So he said it didn't happen, but I didn't want I didn't want to take the chance and keep it mellow, mm. keep it. Chill. Yeah, don't don't take the chance, man. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I feel like I feel like you've done it. You've done uh, you've done a good thing today. Good. Started off the show in a very chill manner, and yeah. I'm feeling. I've been feeling a little edgy. I don't exactly know why. I'm not sure whether my edginess is the product of something uh, chemical or something, uh, you know, in the astronomy realm. Like maybe there's some additional gravity. Like Jupiter ascension or. Yeah. You know, like on. On uh, on Jupiter, like a jug of milk weighs forty pounds, but it doesn't weigh anything because there's no there's no ground to hit. Like if you let go of it, what would happen? Oh, it would just go right through because it's a, a gas giant, right? Maybe it's not a maybe it's not Jupiter. Maybe it's Saturn that you it weighs. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, like, this you know is what? Problematic for me. Maybe it's it's Neptune that a gallon of milk weighs forty pounds. I I feel like uh, there's got to be something at the heart of the gas giant. Right? Isn't there some, isn't there like a hobgoblin or some kind of <laughs> rock? Some little rock that, that everything is, that I, everything. I don't, I don't think there is. I think you, if you were to drop the milk, it would ex- start accelerating toward the center, but it'd be going so fast, it would keep going and go throughout and come out the other side. Really? That's what Are I you- think. Really, I think inside there's a rock that's got a bunch of paper clips stuck to it, <laughs> like all the sort of detritus of the universe. 
like just a bunch of lint balls and stuff on this rock that let's say is the size of a medicine ball. <laughs> yeah. Like a racket ball. Yeah. And it's just covered <laughs> with, it's just covered with, uh, paper clips and other shit, you know, like little, little shit that you, that you drop on the floor of your car. Sure. And then surrounded by, you know, whatever, a million cubic miles of, or a hundred million cubic miles of, of gas. Right. Which is kind of like what it's like to be in bed with me. Mm. Lying next to me, covered with a hundred million cubic feet of gas. <laughs> that's, this is fantastic. That, that's terrible. That's yeah. terrible. I just, you know, you should know by now not to eat while listening to this program, but I'm sure there were some people that were just about to take a bite of a big sandwich and now <laughs> they put it down. What do you think of like flossing at the table? Is that okay? At the dinner table? Yeah. No. No. I mean, I what appreciate... What about a toothpick? Well, okay, I do use toothpicks. At the table? Mm, no. I pick up a toothpick on my way out. Uh, and at my own home, I, I, get, I have to get up from the table. I don't keep them on the table. I keep them in the kitchen. So, no, I wouldn't sit and pick my teeth at the table. In Korea, but, in South Korea, it was considered okay to use a toothpick at the table but they would do something weird they would put their hand up over one hand would go up over their mouth as if you would like if you were about to stop a cough you know or you block a cough and you put your hand up to cover your mouth they would keep their hand about four inches away from their mouth and then they'd put their other hand with the toothpick behind it like Uh a like a a curtain a hand curtain Uh Uh to cover over the fact that, they, but everyone knew they were picking their teeth with a toothpick. It was just accepted because you had your hand up. And the same thing in at this time. This is the late nineties. At the same time, women uh, were not. It was considered rude for women to be seen smoking. So if they mm. wanted to smoke a cigarette, they'd smoke the cigarette, but they'd just have their hand up, and then it was like they were not smoking at all. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Uh, that's also like a little, yeah, like a little. The smoking one seems a little weird. The weird. the tooth the toothpick thing. I feel like if I were in Korea or in any other culture where everybody said, "Well, let's just pick our teeth at the table," I would adapt to that culture because I like picking my teeth with a toothpick. Sure, I, it's very gratifying. And if everybody was sitting around doing it, I wouldn't be the one that was like, "Well, in my culture," I'd be like, "Let's get going." Yeah. And but then if everybody was covering their mouth as though it was something repulsive, I think I would feel like mm, mm-hmm. this is that now we've gone a, an extra step. I'm just going to go outside and pick my teeth. But I guess out there, what you also cover your mouth, or just at the table? They only seem to do it at the table, so I don't know. Oh, hmm, that's weird. Uh, my it? uncle, my uncle Cal, I was walking around. Um, a long time ago, one of my cousins got married and she got married to a guy who was not a scion of the McLaren racing family, but certainly a, certainly a, a, a member of it. And everyone, it was a fancy wedding and everybody at the wedding, there were a lot of, there were a lot of men there that had experience that were part of a formula one racing culture but they weren't like drivers and mechanics. They were like formula one owners. It was a very exciting wedding for a 12 year old boy. Oh yeah. 13, 13 year old boy. Cause these guys were hale and hearty and they were spilling drinks on each other and they adopted me. One of them for months afterwards would send me packages in the mail of fireworks, which was like, you could, you could have sent me a box of money or a box of fireworks, and I would have taken the box of fireworks every time. Um, and they gave me a bunch of stickers and other McLaren F1 style um, swag. But I was walking around this wedding feeling pretty, you know, in my oats. Yeah. And I had a toothpick kind of sticking out of the corner of my mouth like, what's up? What's up? Got a toothpick here like Starsky and Hutch. Huggy bear. <laughs> and my uncle Cal, who was a different kind of fancy than these guys, these guys were like, you know, they were kind of a little bit, um, I don't know. I think they, they had, uh, the kind of money where you just don't, you don't care. You got a lot of cars in the garage. Yeah. In other words, oh, yeah. 
But Uncle Cal was a different kind of fancy. He was the kind of fancy that like donated to the art museum or whatever. In order, like donated enough that there's a room named after your wife. And he walked up to me and said, John, a proper young man does not walk around with a toothpick in his mouth. Right. And I was embarrassed. Of course. And ashamed. Of course. Because Uncle, Uncle Cal didn't say that much to me. You know, it's not like that was one of 50 things he said to me at that wedding was pretty much the only thing he said to me at that mm-hmm. wedding. And maybe the only thing he had said to me in months. And I was like, shit, a proper young man doesn't walk around with a toothpick in his mouth. It seems like having a toothpick in your mouth is a way of demonstrating that you are proper young man, like, like kapow. But I took it out and I threw it in the garbage can. And ever since then, I have never put a toothpick in my mouth where I didn't picture uncle Cal. He didn't appear to me as a ghost the ghost of Christmas past. And, you know, when I look at the toothpick and I'm like, mm, I'm not walking around with it. I'm not walking around with it in my mouth. I'm, I'm performing a, I'm performing a service to myself. It's a, it's a form of self care. <laughs> go, go away. Uncle Cal. And uncle Cal, you know, reluctantly fades away, <laughs> but his words are still ringing in my ears. I wanted desperately to be accepted by the fancy part of my family. I had two, two sides to the family and I don't mean two sides like mother and father, but Mm -hmm. two sides to my father's family. A fancy side and a, a not fancy, fancy and not fancy. And the fancy people told the story of our family to themselves in a way that, um, that, uh, that sort of supported and validated their uh, like retroactive um, anointment of people in our past. You know, it's the old, it's the old, like we're all descended from the princes of Denmark, except in my family it was like, Oh, well it's this white Russian problem. Like, Oh, we used to be fancy and now, now we're fancy again. And And so there's half of my family that kind of can convince themselves that there was never any not fancy. It's just a continuous through line of fancy (laughs) from, you know, from governor John page of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's roommate and best friend from, from governor page all the way to me. It's a continuous line of elegant people who have performed their duty And there was a little bit of a rough patch in there from 1869 to 1969. A little bit of a rough patch for about 100 years. But that's irrelevant because we've regained, we've gotten back up on the horse. And now we're just going to pretend that that 100 years of kind of, you know, it's not like we weren't fancy for that 100 years. We were just bobbling along. Some, Some people had some problems. There was a little bit of you know, there was a little bit of not prison time, but a little, you know, some, some people thrived more than others. And then there's the other side of the family that does the exact thing, except in the other direction where they reject fancy mm-hmm. as being illegitimate, as being unearned, as mm-hmm. being, you know, uh, that the other side of the family identifies themselves as more real and authentic and of the people because we are decidedly not fancy. And that side of the family walks around in dungarees and says the fancy people are deluded and the implication is immoral. And we are not deluded because... And I'm not saying we like me. I'm saying we like them. Them, right, sure. Because they're wearing blue jeans um, and, you know, working, let's say, work, working for a living. Right. Uh, that they are the, you know, that, that they, they, have a, they have more of a sense of the truth. And it was very confusing to me as a, 
as a young person all the way into my 20s and 30s, maybe still is confusing to me now. I never knew which side to identify with more. I was conscious of the of the struggle and the the fancy side of the family held the other held the what, what do you want to call it the quote unquote blue collar I'm sure um, they held them in contempt because they walked around with toothpicks hanging out of their mouths and wearing dungarees and the other side held the rich ones in contempt for their high falutin manner and their failure to acknowledge all of the you know the the truth of that hundred years. And boy, I didn't know which way to go. There was a, there was a great while there where I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to like join the fancies. Seems like it seems fancier for one. (laughs) Right. Stand around in a cocktail party in, in in houses that have a lot of headroom. Uh You know, you walk into a house that's got, 25 foot ceilings and it's not a warehouse or anything. It's just a house. And boy, that cocktail party feels different. You're like, wow, this house got this house tall, a lot of space for your crazy thoughts to go up and just (laughs) mill around with the, with the chandelier. Sure. But the problem was over on the fancy side of the family. I never felt comfortable. Not for a single minute. I felt just like wrong all the time. Oh, my thing was wrong. My face was wrong. My behavior was wrong. I was always standing in the wrong place. You're being judged I, by everything you did. Well, yeah, by my own family. So I'm leaning up against a thing and somebody would come along and say, you know, you're leaning up against the, you're leaning up against something expensive. So I would go, ah, and I'd, you know, go over and lean against something else. And then someone would come and it turned out that that thing I was leaning on was a hidden door behind which was the, <laughs> the wet bar full of all the bourbons. Wow. And so I'm like, nah, and then the door opens and it's this bar and I'm like, oh shit, you know, so I would go stand over by the piano and then I'm, then I would kind of hide behind the piano uh, and, you know, and somebody would glare at me and it was just like, it was always, I never knew where to stand. I never knew how to stand. Mm-hmm. But then I would go over, you know, and hang with the unfancy side of the family. Was, they weren't as, they weren't as, well, they were judgy of the part of me that, that talked incomplete, you know, talked with like big words. Sure. You know what I mean? Big no, words. I absolutely know what you mean. It's very hard when you start talking in big words because people are like, <laughs> big words. No, I was just talking to a friend about that. Where I grew up in Philadelphia, it was almost like you were kind of looked down upon in a way, or, or if you spoke like a, not a higher class than you were in, but like if you like you you're you're trying to sound smart or something. Yeah, like you're right. not you're not like the rest of us here, like in the in the neighborhood. Yeah, I'd get that shit from my own from my own people. Huh. Like oh. Oh, Mr. Uh, you know, Mr. Smart used a word like um, penalized. Right. How dare you say penalized? Right. Like you're supposed to dumb, dumb yourself down. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. So there was no place between these two clans that I could. And it's the same fucking people, right? The same exact grandparents. It's just somewhere in there. There was a little bit of a, there was a little twist of fate one side worked really hard to be you know to be in with the garden club Mm -hmm. from a very young age and one side did not right and so but what's amazing is that 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 between the two clans like the revisionism is such that you look back even even one generation back and the two sides of the family have a very different perspective of who those people were. Right? The one side says, our great-grandfather, the eminent judge. <laughs> and the other side says, our great-grandfather, the alcoholic justice of the peace. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you go, well, Christ. I mean, one of those guys sounds like more fun, but also way worse. So 
all by way of saying the toothpick is a loaded, loaded device for me. And I've sort of made my, you know, I've made my peace with all of the above in that. I mean, when I was running for city council, I was, it was the first time in a long time I found myself suddenly with the garden club people. Mm -hmm. I'm at all these events where the, you know, the political donor class is there and I would walk into the room and I'd be like, Oh my God, I was at so many of these things as a kid and I didn't know where to stand. And now I'm at this thing as a grown up, and I'm trying to walk around and like introduce myself to these people and, and say, hello, (laughs) I'm here. I am simply one of you American people. And it's really terrible. I don't know. I don't know what, I mean, why, why there is that attitude, especially within one family, you know, like everyone in my family, the goal was always learn as much as you can spend as much time in school. You know, you want to get a master's. Yeah. get, Get a master's degree. You want to do more than that. Do more than that. Like they, they were very pro education. They were very pro bettering yourself in any way possible. But outside of that, it was very much that that if you if you were perceived as sort of even slightly fancy to use your term that you were putting on airs of some kind that you considered yourself to be above everyone else above your friends above the school that you went to but that was a family wide feeling you're saying everybody everybody in your family kind of shared the same yeah it, within yeah. the context of my family they were all you know, because, but I mean, like, but my my mom was a college professor. My dad worked at a, a university. My, you know, my grandfather and all of them had like it. I have the least education of anyone in my entire family going back like three generations. Even my cousins have like master's degrees. Even your cousins? Even my cousins. My God. I know. I just have like a puny bachelor's degree. Is your bachelor's degree smaller than normal bachelor's degrees? Well, it's an English degree. Oh, in that case. Yeah. Well, that's it's the not thing. like a bachelor there... of science. It's not like a real degree. <laughs> no, I know. know a bachelor of computer math. <laughs> right. I just is... I read I read uh, you know I read Beowulf and Chaucer. Yeah. So that's nobody how... actually read. Be- I read Beowulf. <laughs> I had a radio show in college, and there was a talk a talk show, and. Uh, one day there was a there was a snowstorm on campus and nobody could come into my talk show. I made it there, yeah, but nobody could come into the talk show. So, um, oh, you, and I you did not just start reading Beowulf on the air. I, yeah, I'd been oh, criticized God. by someone. Someone had ca- called the university and said this kid with his radio show, which was called I did not name the show. It was called Talk Soup. Just I like the thing they got show. on uh, on E or whatever Talk Soup. Now it's just called the Soup. Oh, oh, was it originally called Talk Soup? Yes, originally it was called Talk Soup with when Greg mm. Kinnear hosted it. Ugh. Well, so this was called Talk Soup. If it had been called The Soup, well, that would have been worse. But I'd been criticized for being irreverent by some member of the community who felt like I was being irreverent about – I was at a Catholic school. I was being irreverent about Catholic Catholicism. Uh, at the time, the big problem was Yusuf Islam – was uh, calling for a fatwa on yeah, Solomon Rushdie. Right. This and is so not, that's the, not the peace train guy, right? That's the peace that's train That's the peace guy. train guy, yeah. What's her uh, name and, wouldn't do his song anymore? Well, and and the, uh, the, and the people that were uh, that were programming this college radio station said, we're not going to play any, any more Cat Stevens in protest. And so on my radio show, which was a talk show, I played Cat Stevens because I said, yeah, it's terrible what he's doing, but you cannot judge an artist. You can't judge an artist that way. You can't judge the art that way. Let's say that. Cat Stevens is great music. It always will be great music. Now he's become a religious zealot. But if we went back in time and judged every artist and, and decided whether or not to consume art based on whether or not the artist was a good person, then we would be uh, just – we would all be looking at Thomas Kincaid paintings of light or, you know, like peanuts 
comic strips. And I don't even think Charles M. Schultz was a nice guy. Hmm. He seems like a little bit of a crank. Uh, and so anyway, somebody in the community was mad and said, harumph, harumph. And then that came down from the administration to the people that administered the show. And they were like, you can't do whatever you're doing. And so I read Beowulf for three hours. And it's the kind of sophomoric thing that you do if you're a sophomore. Um, I'm not proud of it now. <laughs> no, of course not. But at the time, it seemed really witty. And in reading it for three hours aloud, I realized this is one of those things that uh, that everybody – it's like the Bible. Everybody claims to have read it and nobody has because this is just like – it's like Jabberwocky. Uh, but yes, your your degree is mostly worthless. But what you had was some kind of family cohesion where you understood where you came from and what you were all about and everybody more or less agreed. And my family had like in some ways, crucially an identity crisis Mm -hmm. within the clan. Nobody knew, nobody knew what the fuck they were about. And there was a tremendous amount of putting on airs on both sides. And for whatever reason, nobody could. And this, I, I trace it back a long way. Like I, I think that this is a, that this was a psychological problem within my people where they just didn't know where they belonged and everything they did felt a little bit awkward and not right. And so they just compensated for it by overthinking who they were all the time. It's like, Jesus Christ, if you want to be like fancy, go for it. They're the, that world is awful. I don't know why you would choose it. I mean, it really is awful. Uh, but also, I mean, if you want to work for a living, that's fine too, but don't like, don't stick it down everybody's nose. Like go do your, do your work. My aunt one time, this is a famous story. My aunt invited my brother to dinner. He, she said, you and your wife come over from Yakima for dinner. We, you know, we absolutely want to see. And my brother and his wife were like, Oh God, we hate going over there to the fancy people, but have fancy dinner at their house for some reason. They're creating this, this is the typical, creating some situation where now we have to come over and sit at a table with candles and eat some, you know, chicken cooked in wine. And we just want to stay home in Yakima and do our normal life, you know, just eating macaroni and cheese and in front of the TV. But they do it. They pack all their stuff up. They put on some nice clothes. They drive over the mountains. They show up at my aunt's house, which is a big house. They ring the doorbell. My aunt opens the door. Oh, how wonderful to see you. So lovely of you to come. She ushers them into the house. She and my uncle are both dressed very nicely, Mm -hmm. but inexplicably wearing overcoats. And so uh, my brother and his wife come in. And uh, their coats are taken from them and hung up in the closet. And then my aunt says, and this may be apocryphal, but this is the story. My aunt says, dinner's on the table or dinner's in the oven, something, one of the others. We're going to the symphony. We'll be back in a few hours. Help yourself to whatever you need. Toodaloo. And out they go. So... Uh, here, my brother and his wife have come this way for yeah. this dinner that they didn't want. Right. And it turns out that it's that she invited them because she thought maybe that they needed a good hot meal. I mean, it's not clear. It wasn't for, for companionship or to be together. No, apparently not. But it's not clear. The thing is about this story, I do not have trouble imagining it. Like, when it was told to me, I think I was a lot younger and I was like, hmm, well, I mean, sounds like, sounds normal. It was only kind of later when I heard that story like 40 more times that I went, hmm, that is pretty weird. Right. 
And then, and you know, because my brother's contention was, why did we, we didn't want to come. We wanted to stay home. We were invited to a dinner. It felt like an obligation. We went and then we're just sitting alone at a table eating some dinner that, (laughs) that they made for us and left on the, left in the oven. It's bizarre. And yet in keeping with a kind of feeling within the family that like, like one half of the family just does not. I mean, that just, that doesn't feel very respectful. You know what I mean? Not, not and, at all. Yeah. So, and, and, and I was on the receiving end of quite a bit of that, but I was, I was it's, always it's a like kid. almost a passive aggressive kind of feel to it. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some kind of weirdly. Yeah. Passive aggressive, like massive putting in one's place of like kapow, like, like what was the, why did they do it though? God knows. God knows. Uh, You know, everyone has passed away now and it's not like I could have gone to them at any point in time. Even when I was 40 years old, I could not have gone and said, what was the deal with that story? Because there was never a casual rapport. Right. I mean, I could go to my dad, I could go to my brother and say, well, what's the deal with this story? I talked to my mom like that. I talked to my sister. But then as you go, as it emanates out, even in the kind of immediate family, that rapport goes away fast. Yeah. And then you're just like, so what was the, and then there's this like weird chill comes over the room and you go, (laughs) what, what, what's for dinner? So I don't know. And I think I always, I think I always, I'd look at those Norman Rockwell pictures of a big family all sitting around the table and the the stories you hear from a lot of people where it's like, Oh, uncle Bill was a real character and aunt Jane had a lot of cats and you know, everybody in the family kind of shared a, shared a single universe at least. And we all sat around a Thanksgiving table and I had an aunt Jane that had a lot of weird cats and, you know, everybody had a quirky story, but there, but we did not ever feel cohesed. And, and I, I, I can, I, I can't explain it. I felt like I was at dinner with aliens all the time. Ufos. Ufos, yeah. I wish I had a family like yours where it was like, I mean, it was a well, we didn't, we, They didn't get along. No one got right. along. They were all just in favor of education. Yeah. I mean, but, so don't, don't take that too far and assume that there's like happiness around the table. That was they, very, they, I don't even think that happened ever. They fought, right? I mean, oh, they yeah. had like, they had like, they, they were conscious of their, of the world being that they, that they were living in the same world at least. Right. I mean, I don't know if you had, if you had relatives who had, I think maybe you're right that this is more common where you just have relatives that are living in a, in a different universe in the sense that they are religious and you're not, or they are in a codependent relationship that no one can say, no one can call out like they're sitting at the table with their, with the, the husband that is clearly, you know, drunk, but nobody can say, right. I mean, I guess, I guess it's true that anytime you get a group of people together, it's weird. I don't know, Dan, I like, I like my stories all to be about how unique and special my world is. And it's always difficult yeah. to hear that. Yeah. That's kind of a mundane story. You know, well, I don't think it's mundane. But I'll tell you, I think there's a lot of that, this sort of discontent happening. I think there's, there's a whole lot of it. I think there's a, well, you know, so here's something, here's something weird. Mm-hmm. I went and I took my son to see uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the new Harry Potter universe movie. There's a new Harry Potter universe movie? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, Harry Potter is not in it, and none of the characters oh. from the original are, are, well, not none of them, but none of the, none of the ones you normally think of 
are yeah. in it. Uh, and it's, uh, it, but it takes place in that universe. It takes place in that world. It's like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but was it written by, uh, JK, uh yeah, she, she wrote it. Okay. And it's, you know, pretty big production, pretty high production values and everything else. And uh, the theater that we went to is one here that we have. I think there's one in San Francisco. I don't know if you have one, uh, but it's called uh, the Alamo Draft House. Do you have those? Uh, where you get beer and pizza? You can get beer, pizza. You can get a full menu, and you have little. Um, you sit in theater style seats, but they have tables in front of you, and uh, and you can you can order food and things like that. Yes, I uh, not very long ago went out with a girl who worked as a concessionaire at one of these places. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they uh, they have some good ones here, and we like that because then I mean, you can go there, you can sit back, you relax, you want to get popcorn, you want to get a, a lunch, whatever. Right. It's nice. It's nice, and he likes it because you know he likes he likes to be chill, he likes to sit back and you know eat some lunch. But this, chill kid likes to eat lunch. Yeah. And so we yeah. went to a uh we went to an earlier show. It was like a 10 a.m. show. So it wasn't going to be lunch. We were going to get some popcorn. And 10, 10 a.m. popcorn? Yeah, of course. You guys are living large. I know. 10 a.m. popcorn. I know. So we uh we went in there, we ordered, and the guy, the guy with his wife and uh two two kids, two young kids, a boy, and maybe two boys. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just one. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Yeah, two kids, maybe one. Doesn't matter. Whatever. It's all the same. And they sat down, and I noticed the guy sitting down next to me. This was a uh, probably a Saturday morning, Sunday morning, ten a.m. The guy, look, you just to look at him, looked like a regular guy, clean, clean cut, uh-huh. shaved that morning, which I definitely hadn't done. Regular, clean cut, freshly shaved guy. Looked nice, dressed in nice clothes. His, his, you know how when people drink, they just, if they drink enough, they reek of the alcohol like it's coming out of their, their pores of their skin almost. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you bet. And this guy is sitting next to me and just, there's like this strong aura of, of a liquor Ugh. coming out of him. And at first I thought, oh, you know, it, it, some somebody spilled a drink, uh-huh. something like that, you know, and maybe right, it's, it's the bleach smell left over. From- <laughs> right. Yeah. But it, it, I realized quickly it was him and I was still halfway through like dismissing it and saying, ah, that, that, that's not him. That when the person comes around to take the drink orders, he orders, this is 10 a.m. Uh, he orders a whiskey. 10 a.m. whiskey. 10 a.m. whiskey, which is probably weirder than 10 a.m. popcorn. Yeah, and I'm going to say that if two guys were sitting next to me, one of them ordered popcorn and one of them ordered whiskey. And at you're 10 in a, a, you're I'd say. in a movie theater, so yeah, popcorn I mean, I has a feel place. Like there's this is a freak show all around me, but at least the popcorn guy knows where he is, right? Yeah, and uh, and that just it really you know it surprised me. And I, so I was talking to a friend about that, and their response was, "Oh well, he's he's clearly an alcoholic. He's clearly like functional." Alcoholic. I said, well, I don't know that you can make that assumption, but, you know, I think that it just, just to your point that there's a lot of things going on in, in the world that we kind of just assume like, well, that's a rare thing to happen or that doesn't, that doesn't happen a lot. And then it's all around us. That's all I'm trying to say mm-hmm. is it's, it's all mm-hmm. around us. I think that that's true. I think it's all around us. Uh, I think there are a lot of, there are, you know, 10,000 stories in the naked city. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, John, we're going to do a quick uh, sponsor break. Yeah, uh, I'm ready. You're ready? You're prepared? Well, I mean, I'm prepared in the sense that I don't know what's happening, but I will. <laughs> You'll roll I'm prepared, with it. I'm prepared to do it. <laughs> it is, it is uh, Mac Weldon. Oh, our good old friends, Mac Weldon. I know. I understand you were just up in New York. Did you visit uh, their corporate office there, Mac Weldon office? No, I didn't. Uh, there were. I had a couple of outstanding invitations to visit various corporate offices. Yeah. 
and I didn't really take anyone up on the offer. Yeah. I just, uh, I just, you know, puttered around. I did quite a bit of puttering. I uh, did a little bit of huckledy buck <laughs> and never made it to visit really anybody. Well, they're up, they're way up there in New York. And, uh, these guys, they make clothing and mm-hmm. yes, they do their clothing. They believe in smart designs, premium fabrics, simple shopping so that it's easy for guys like us who don't want to spend a million years, you know, looking around at a website and say, well, I want this, I want this, I want this. No, it's, no. Uh, it's underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. And that's it. Get and, in, get out. Yeah. You know what you want? You want a hoodie? No. You want an undershirt? Yeah. That's it. That's what yeah. we got. That's all we got. Well, and the thing about hoodies, of course, is that there's, first of all, it's the, uh, it's the tech worker tuxedo. <laughs> yes. Uh, but also it's important, you know, like for a long time I was wearing what, just the typical like Russell athletics hoodie. And I, and I think I gauged the quality of a hoodie on how burly it was. Like how, how thick yeah, just how just how heavy it was. Yeah, just how just how thick and sort of uh, bulletproof it was. But as time's gone on, and I've become a fancy person, a little bit more, let some fancy in. I've realized that kind of a smooth, like lightweight hoodie. Oh yeah, is actually much more versatile and somewhat difficult to get your hands on. You know, like a good quality. Uh, a good quality, like kind of a little bit leaner, a little bit meaner. Hoodie. Yes. Oh yeah. I'm with you. And, uh, and now my whole, my whole tune has changed. That's all I want. I want a, I want a smooth hoodie. I want a, I want a tech tuxedo. <laughs> well, Mac Weldon makes those. Yes. And, uh, and they make, they make a few other things, but they keep it simple. And the stuff that they make, it's good for working out. It's good for going out. It's good for everyday life. But I'm with you. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I was watching that Star Trek, one of your favorite shows, that Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, yeah, that's a great show. And they would show that when they went to this one planet where these people are running around. <laughs> I like this already. You know what I'm talking about? The one. Well, that, no, but they were on a planet. Yeah, that, yeah. They're on a planet. Run- they're running mm-hmm. around and there's people, all the people are wearing like... Just a thin, I mean, I don't know if it's Lycra. I don't know what it is, but it's something that's just like a, 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 everyone's in great shape. They all look great. And they're just wearing these just little like one single layer type garment things. Was it ratings uh, week or something? It might have been ratings week. That seems like something that you would do if you were trying to get some some ratings. Well, it started me thinking that the future is going to be like what you're talking about. Not some burly, bulky... You know, like remember the jeans that we had when we were we were kids? They were super thick, and the underwear was like thick. Everything was thick. Everything yeah, it was had to be thick. thick. And now, you can stay warm with just a little. What do you call it? Geek tuxedo. You stay warm with that now because they've come so far with the fabrics. You know, they breathe and they somehow they keep you cool and they keep you warm at the same time. I don't know how that mm. works, but that's what they, that's what anyway. So the, here's what they've done. For the, as you said, when we were off there for the, for Christmas time, for the holidays, yeah, they're giving a 20% off, uh, discount to our listeners. If you go to Mac Weldon, M-A-C-K, Mac Weldon.com, you'll get 20% off if you use the promo code roadwork, one word. Uh, that's all you got to do is go to Mac Weldon.com. When you're checking out, put in roadwork, you'll get 20% off. You can buy as much as you want. You can load up, give these things as gifts. I can tell you something. Let's Nothing makes a better gift for a, a, a guy than something from Mac Weldon. And if you if you feel like it depends on how well you know the guy as to what you can buy for him. If you know right, him you gotta very be careful well, <laughs> buy an underwear for somebody you just know from work. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna start doing. I'm gonna start giving out because you told me about the underwear that you took that time. Yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm keeping a box of Mac Weldon underwear in here. When someone comes up, hey, can I see your little studio? I'm like, eh, sure, come on up. Now come on. Be like, what size underwear do you wear? Oh, really? And hand some underwear. Wow, that's a smooth. That's a smooth move, Dan. Yeah. Hey, uh, I got some underwear here for you. Right. What? 
Oh no, it's not like my old underwear. It's a it's a brand new pair of these deluxe fancy underwear. <laughs> right, it's antimicrobial. <laughs> yeah, it's antimicrobial. <laughs> it's silver in it. So anyway, maybe uh, maybe our listeners want to get in on this. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using the promo code ROADWORK. Thanks very much to MacWeldon for supporting this episode of ROADWORK. Oh, and you know what? Before I forget, John, um, I would like to... A listener wanted me to say hi to you. Uh, hi. I met, I met her today. She's a, oh. a big fan. Uh-huh. And uh she loves all she told me this. She loves all the great shows. All of them. All the great shows. And she okay. is uh her name is Rhonda and uh she works at the Apple store. In the oh, do- that in the seems domain. appropriate. Yeah. And she's uh she was uh had her headphones in and uh-huh. said that she had just the whole come, time that she was talking to you. <laughs> yes. Uh and she said that she had just come from the back. She says she can't listen when she's on the floor. But whenever she's in the back, you know, stocking or whatever it is that they do in in back of the Apple store, she said she's always listening to your shows, all of your shows, all wow. the great shows. And uh, she Rhonda. said right right now she was just listening to uh, your, the other program you do with Merlin. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, okay, well, I will say hi to you. On and she said, please say please say hi, please say hi to John. Have you met Rhonda before? Or were you um, did did or did she recognize you as uh, the internet's Dan Benjamin? Yes, or yes. she ran she, she ran up to me. I was uh, looking at the new MacBook Pro with the fancy uh, new keyboard strip. You know the ones that have the the changing keyboards up at the top, the touch mm, bar. No, not really, but yes. So the new ones have a touch bar, and I was experimenting with the touch bar, and she came running toward me from the other end of the store, and she says, "Hi." I said, hi. And she said, I just want to tell you, I'm a really big fan. I said, oh, nice. I said, of me? And she, <laughs> she said, yes. yes. And, of, and of, uh, of, of, of all the great shows. Oh. And so we got to talking and she wanted me to say hi. Well, I love that. Uh, I love that Rhonda is out there listening in the stock room. I often wonder how many listeners of podcasts uh, listen to them in, in chunks. Right, like if you're back in the stock room and you're and you're filing away some uh, some Macintosh Rumble strips or whatever they are, and you're listening, and then somebody says, "Rhonda, uh, clean up on aisle four or whatever." <laughs> right, like Rhonda, we need you out front. She's got to pause, and maybe she doesn't get to pick where she pauses. And I wonder if that wonder how that changes the podcast experience. Yeah, you, well, I think I think that's normal. I think everyone listening is is pausing and resuming all the time. Pausing and resuming, pausing and resuming. Yeah, back and to the left. <laughs> yes, uh, that's interesting. Uh, there must be also people who are doing some kind of thing where there's, I, I imagine them at a stand up desk. Yes, but they're they're in an office where they don't, you know, maybe they're self employed or they're in an office where. It's not intrusive for them to be listening to it actually on speakers. Right. Um, you know, they might be a taxidermist or they're probably not using power tools because that would drown out the the podcast. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they have like a full on hour and 45 minute commute mm-hmm. every day and they just listen to the podcast all the way through. Or maybe they're driving across the country or something. And that's that's who I imagine but then, of course, you're right. It's got to be 20 minutes at a time for for yeah for a lot of people. I think people huh? they they hit play, they listen to a little bit, and then they go and they do their other, they do their next thing. Right. And right. they listen to huh. it again for a little bit, and come back listen and do the next thing. It's you know how like I remember when I first started working in the in the corporate world back in the old days. We used to have a radio on in the little office, and they would just have radio a, you know, on. <laughs> And they would just have, you know, the local station would just be on. And then sometimes it's, it's two guys, you know, yelling at each other. Other times it'd be news. And, you know, you might get a phone call or you might go to a meeting. You might go to lunch. You might go to, you know, bathroom. You come back and just sort of on in the background and you sort of pay attention. You tune in and tune out. I don't think podcasts are like that because people have the ability to, to pause it. So if they're listening to it and they're, though the phone rings, pause. And they talk to the right. talk to the person on the phone, or someone's at the door, or they want to, 
you know, right. do whatever. And I think that's normal. I mean, I know no one would pause this show. Well, you would hope not. Uh, every job I ever had that was a normal job that I worked at with other normals, we had the radio on. And the only the only issue was, do you have the classic rock station on, which was <clears throat> my vote, or the alternative rock station? Or do you have the R&B station on? Uh, I was going to say that there was a third choice, but it never seemed like there was. Well, the R&B station could also be like the soft, soft contemporary pop station. <laughs> yes. And, but there was always a radio going, right? That's how I, that's how I heard Seals, A Kiss from a Rose for the first time. And how I heard TLC's Waterfalls. This is a good and song. How I, how I heard shares. Do you believe yeah, in life after sure. love? Because those were all on the radio at the same time that I was training to be the assistant manager of a check Mart on first Avenue in Seattle. And I went through the whole process of training, which was extensive because you have to be taught to identify fraudulent, uh, financial devices, fraudulent financial, you know, conveyances. Uh, and I learned that whole process of being able to check, you know, tell a forged check and be able to see what a, this and that counterfeit money and, and bad other things, instruments, bad instruments. And then I worked at the check mart for about a week and a half. And I was like, this is a dismal life. Yeah. The because our check mart was also the place where people cashed their SSI checks. It was like a mailbox for um for people on government assistance and so people would come in and collect their check and cash it immediately paying the usurious checkmart fees because no one you know no one had a bank account and uh the people that i worked with hated every they were you know more or less nice people but they hated everyone that walked in and we were behind bulletproof glass so they would you know right up until the moment that the person stuck their head down in the little window. The people behind the counters were like, look at this asshole. Oh my God, look at this greasy son of a bitch or whatever. And I was like, this is a very negative place to work. I don't like being the assistant manager of this place at all. Right. And one day my girlfriend at the time who was working as a bike messenger <laughs> wheeled her bike into the store with her hair all, you know, wind blown and her face. Just the way you like it. Rosie cheeked and, uh, and she was like, got a break for lunch. And I was like, do I ever? And I never went back. Wow. But during that brief time, I love that you were just gone in the middle of the, <laughs> I was like, this sucks. What are they going to do? Sue me? Right. You didn't like it. No, I can't. I, you know, Get out I don't of even there. care. I don't even care. It's not like they can withhold the money that they owe me. There's some law about that. You have to be. You no, have to if get you paid. work, then you got to get I walked paid. out of a lot of jobs. I used to work at Kells, uh, which was an Irish pub. An Irish pub that really, really played up the whole, like, we'll be Goshen, be go to sort of Ireland. Kells, Kells Portland? No, it was Ke same same family, I'm pretty sure. Kells here in, in Seattle. And, and uh, the scuttlebutt, the whisper campaign about it was that they were actually Protestants. <laughs> that they were orange... Irish people and they had come to America and were doing this whole, uh, whole shillelagh act. Uh, but in fact they were, uh, you know, they were Belfastians and from the wrong side of the wall. Right. But I, but the woman that I worked for there was just awful. Hmm. I was making coffee one time and she came up behind me and said, we're out of coffee, make coffee. And I was like, I am, you had to come over to the coffee machine to, to say that to me. Like there's nothing else over here. I, I'm not, I couldn't be folding napkins. I'm standing at the coffee machine visibly making coffee. Sure. But I was working there and, uh, one day I was like, oh, I've had enough. And it's not like I, I didn't take my apron off and throw it at anybody. I just walked over to the bartender and said, I'm out of here. And he was like, yeah, all right, whatever. Right. I mean, you've and got I, to, you've got to, yeah. you've got to do what you got to do. I split the scene. That I think was a thing where a couple of people that I knew from out of town 
came in just by happenstance and were like, Hey man, you know, we came in to get a beer or whatever. And I was like, Hey, you guys. And we talked for a little while. What are you doing? Oh, we're going up to Alaska. We're going to, you know, we're going to work throwing hatchets at a, at us like a hay bale. I was like, that's a job. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we get paid $11 an hour to throw hatchets at a hay bale. And I was like, I quit. I'm going with you guys, <laughs> yeah, right. but, but I only made it as far as the ferry terminal. And I was like, mm, this sounds weird. This sounds like you guys are going to, you're going to get sold into slavery up there somehow. Turned around and I don't know what I did. I went and drank for a month and then found another job. So like the drive from Seattle to Alaska is, what is that? A few days? That's a few days, right? That's like 2000 miles. It depends on how, um, what we would have said at the time was it depends on how aggro you are. And if you are especially aggro, uh, which means that you're in a car where the passenger seat reclines all the way and one person can sleep while the other's driving. Oh yeah. And both people are aggro. You understand what I'm saying? Like aggro means what aggressive. Yeah, but it's, but there's a different, there's a different connotation. It means like, are you ready to rally? Right. Are you ready to go the distance? Are you going to go full bore here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't do, you can't do that job, uh, that drive in an aggro fashion. If one person can only drive five hours at a time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like both people need to be able to go, 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 go. And then when they're just about ready to drop dead, the other person wakes up from their weird, uncomfortable sleep and is ready to go, go, go. And in a case of doing it that way, you can do it pretty fast. Uh, driving straight through with no stops except to get gas. <sighs> 25 hours. Wow, really? But, you know, you can drive across America in... I mean, I did it from where, where to where from Portland to New York city. And, oh, well, the problem was we had to, we actually were, we were coming into New York at the wrong time of day. And the people that were waiting for us on the other end were like, no, 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 no. You can't roll up in here at one o'clock in the morning. You know, you've got to, you've got to hold up and wait. And so we had to, we, you know, we had to check ourselves and stop in Western Pennsylvania and like cool our heels for six hours. But we yeah. were on track. We were on track to do uh, all the way across the country. And hmm, I mean, not much more than 24 hours. What's the record? What's the record for the cannonball run? Cannonball run record is 32 <laughs> hours, 51 minutes. Okay. So we weren't doing it in we Eight, that average is about 87 miles per hour. Snow in the Rockies we, slowed them down considerably. I guess we were doing it in 48 hours and yeah. So wait a minute. Now maybe the, maybe the trip to, uh, maybe the trip to Alaska was, Mm, I don't know, Dan. I'm I'm having a hard time remembering all this. No, no, no. The trip, the trip. Cannonball run. You just, I mean, I never knew when I was a kid that the cannonball run was a real thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. uh, And I feel like, I feel like that was the, they still do the gumball, right? The gumball 3000. Gumball rally. So, so, okay. So I was wrong. You can do, you can do Seattle to Anchorage in 48 hours and you can do it across the country in 48 hours. If you're really, really hauling ass. When I said 24 hours, what I meant was one full, what, what I think of is like one full rotation, which I guess is 48 straight hours of driving. And I have done it. I've done it both across the country and to Anchorage in 48 hours, 24 hours. So I, I, that that's wrong. Clearly you can't do it in that. I meant 48. I would have believed you. I don't, I'm not going to fact check here. I'm not here to fact yeah. check you. 
No, no, I I need to fact check myself because that that's the kind show. that's the kind of thing where people are like what, and I'm like no, 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 I swear it was 24, but I'm misremembering it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's 48 hours because when you're driving for 48 hours straight, who knows what? How who knows how long it's been after a while, right? You're losing your mind. But the trip I took across the country was unique because the guy I was uh, driving with was this kid named Fuchi's. And Fuchi's had always sort of, you know, he'd, he was, was that a friendly his real name or a, a nickname. No, Fuchi's was his nickname. He was a friendly guy. He was a, he was a, he, you know, he, he did merch and tech for bands, but he seemed, you know, at the time to be kind of young and fairly inexperienced. He was doing a job that didn't require a lot of, a lot out of him, you know, uh, uh, doing merch or whatever. And, you know, and his nickname was Fuchi's. I liked him quite a bit. But we, he and I were both contracted to drive a, a, con, a container, uh, like a box truck from Portland to New York. And I had a lot of miles under my belt at that point. And I was like, all right, Fuji's, well, you know, I guess I'll take the first shift. And he was like, well, I mean, you know, I don't mind if you want me to take the first shift. And we were leaving at like 11 p.m. And I said, well, all right, if you want to drive, you know, go right ahead. We'll probably switch off you know, somewhere in Idaho and Fuchi's gets in the car and he starts to drive the, the box truck and we chat and he's driving. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to get a little shut eye. So I'm ready for the handover and I go to sleep. And in the morning I wake up probably six or seven in the morning and I'm like, all right, well, you know, ready to switch off. And he's like, no, I'm doing fine. And I said, hmm. Hmm. all right, well, you can go, go a little bit more and, he drove and drove and drove and drove. And he just kept driving. Yeah. He drove like 16 hours before I forced him to let me drive. And he was at the time insisting like, no, I can keep going. Like just chill. And so I drove like I was pretty impressed and I wasn't going to be some guy that drove like eight hours and surrendered. So I drove and drove and drove about 12 hours before I was completely trashed. Mm-hmm. And then he took over and I swear to you would have driven the remaining distance. Wow. I mean, easily would have driven the remaining distance. It was like we drove all the way across the country and Fuchi's, uh would have driven of the 48 hours. He would have driven 36 of them. If I hadn't, again, forced him to let me drive. That's crazy. And I, I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd been around a lot of drivers. I had never seen anything like this. And I said to him, like, you have this remarkable talent. If you were a professional driver, this would be illegal. Professional drivers are required to stop and take rests. But if you were like a bootlegger. Right. Some kind of like, uh, you know, like a, like a sketchy runner of, of things like you have an, you have an incredible talent to be a smuggler or otherwise person who doesn't need to sleep. And he was like, Oh, I don't know. It just seems normal. I like to drive. Like, huh? You like to drive. I like to drive. You can drive 20 hours. And he showed no signs of no fatigue, no uh, burnout. Just happy as just happy as a pig and shit the entire time. No way. Like this guy. This guy's a, he's like a genius. He's like some kind of it's one of those talents where how would you ever know? How would you ever know that talent unless somebody said, We need you to drive this truck across America for five hundred dollars? Like it's the only scenario in which it would be revealed that you were an Olympic level athlete sure. of driving box trucks long distance. Right. But there he is. He's out there somewhere right now, probably still able to do it. Right. And, you know, living some living in some world, he's probably at this age, he's probably 42 now, probably telling people don't call me Fuchis. Right. Or maybe he's just adopted it cuz who, you know, people in rock and roll have all kinds of weird nicknames that they just you know, like some guy gets called Cat Butt <laughs> and then after a while he adopts it He's just like happy with it. Yeah, I'm cat butt. 
It's like, wow, cat butt was the thing that stuck. <laughs> that's the that's the nickname that you decided to have embroidered on your jacket. Cat butt. <laughs> 